Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au. Our world's broken at a global level. Right now, Ukrainians are killing Russians. Russians are killing Ukrainians. Right now, at this very second, who knows how many people are being murdered, beaten up, raped, put into slavery. Mass shootings occur on a weekly basis. There's family breakdown, there's social anxiety, there's depression, financial uncertainty. Do you, do you want me to keep going? Our world is broken. And now for the hard news. You and I are broken as well. Picture standing before God on judgment day. It's decision time. Does God allow you into heaven or send you to hell? But I want you to also imagine, instead of God judging you by his standard, he only judged you by your standard. Imagine that there's been a recording of your life, and it's recorded every time you said something like, you should, or you should not have. Every time that you said, that's not fair. Imagine that that is the standard of judgment. It's your standard of judgment that God is going to use to judge you. And when we do that little thought experiment, we quickly realize, wow, I don't even live up to my own standard. And now for the really, really bad news. There will be a judgment day. And God is going to use his standard, not ours, to judge. Friends, we're about to enter a section of Romans that tells us over and again that we have failed God's standard. None of us honour God as God deserves to be honoured. None of us worship God as God deserves to be worshipped. None of us are holy as God is holy. And in five weeks' time, we're going to hear that declaration that Alison gave us in the kid's spot. Uh, in five weeks' time, we're going to hear Romans 3.23, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all fall short of God's standard. Now, have you ever been accused of something you did not do? do? It's awful, isn't it? I mean, we actually have defamation laws for such occurrences. People who tell lies about other people are bad people. Now, 
I want you to call out an answer. This is a real question I'm about to give you. I want you to call out an answer and I want you to call it out loudly. Is God a bad person? Wow, the right side of the room's decent. You guys are shameful. I, I didn't hear anything over here. Is it just I'm deaf in my left, left ear, maybe? Is God a bad person? Friends, that is why Romans 1, chapter 18 through to chapter 3, verse 20 is in the Bible. Yes, over and again, God calls us out. God declares we don't measure up. God declares we are without excuse. Not a single one of us is born righteous. We are all unrighteous. Romans 1, 18 to 3, 20 is not simply telling us that fact. Romans 1, 18 to 320 is proving that fact. In order to reveal that God himself is righteous. God is not a liar. God is not making false accusations about us. God is good. He's not bad. So, on the one hand, the next few weeks are going to be quite sobering, aren't they? I don't want to see attendance dip. (laughs) On the other hand, on the better hand, on the really, really good hand, we need the next few weeks. Because remember, this is God's righteous gospel. Gospel's good news. And it's a righteous good news. It's a right good news. It's a true good news. This is God's righteous gospel that we are discovering. This is good news for those willing to hear it from our God. And so today we're only looking at the verses Justine read out, Romans 1, 18 to 32. To begin with, I want to show you the link between verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1 and uh, verse 21 of chapter 3. I want to show you the context, I want to show you the link uh, to see how all of these verses fit in. It's, It's a very important link. And then we're going to look at the wrath of God. Let's be a church that says wrath of God, not wrath of God, okay? Um, Then we're going to look at why God's wrath is right. And then we're going to finish with some application. So for those of you taking notes, here's where we're headed. Context. God's wrath, why God's wrath is right, and then I've given the heading for the um, application, rightly ordered hearts. So firstly, context. Um, last week, got your Bible open, last week we, looked, we finished on Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I'm not ashamed. Giddy up, let's go. Not ashamed. Come on, loudspeaker, ticket tape parade. Not ashamed. Not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Not ashamed. It's the power of God for salvation. Salvation from what? Well, I take it verse 18 spells that out for us. For the wrath of God 
is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. We need saving from God's wrath. There is a judgment day. That is why Paul is not ashamed. There is good news. There's good news for judgment day. There's the gospel. Now, how does this gospel bring salvation? Verse 17 tells us, For in it, for in the gospel, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Oh, hang on a moment. Is that good news? That the righteousness of God being revealed? Don't we actually want verse 17 to read, For in it, for in the gospel, the love of God is revealed. Isn't that what we would rather hear? Listen in. Check your heart of hearts. This is super important. Because what the devil wants us to hear in verse 17 is the reason why there's power in the gospel is because God is love. God loves you. That's why you're going to be saved. God really doesn't care about your unrighteousness. You'll be okay because God is love. That is not what verse 17 says. Verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Greek. For in it, for in this gospel of salvation, the righteousness of God is revealed. Let me show you why we're actually going to have to wait for a long time to hear why that is good news. Okay, leave your finger there, if it's possible. But anyway, mentally make a note of where 117 is. And now flip over to chapter 3, verse 21. Boy, there's a lot of ink spilt between. And then we get to Romans 3:21, and it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. Can you see the similarity? 117, the righteousness of God revealed. 321, for now the righteousness of God is manifested. Saying the same thing. In between, all of those words, all of those sentences are like a little side excursion. We have to wait until we get to 321 to see why the righteousness of God is good news. It's a long time to wait, isn't it? And so let me give you a little bit of a spoiler alert. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We are not as Christians. We're not ashamed of the gospel. For it is. The good news of Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Because in it, in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. In the gospel, we see that the righteous Son of God came. And God put all of our sin, all of our unrighteousness on him and punished him so that whoever believes in him would have our sin put on him. And what do we get? We get the righteousness of Christ. 
That is the good news of the gospel. What Christians for centuries have called the great exchange at the cross. Our sin is exchanged for Christ's righteousness. That is our salvation. That is why verse 17, chapter 1 verse 17 says, The righteous shall live by faith. It is trusting in the righteousness of God that all happened at the cross alone that saves us. But we have to wait another five weeks to get there. Okay, that's the context as we now spend a few weeks in between verse 17 of chapter 1 and chapter 3 verse 21. Remember, Romans 1, 18 to 3, 20, it's a break from this big idea of God revealing his righteousness. And now we hit into this week, God's wrath. Read from verse 18 with me, Romans 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made so. They are without excuse. God's wrath, God's anger at all ungodliness and unrighteousness is being revealed. Now, to understand that wrath, we need to understand who God is. In Psalm 89, uh, verse 14, we read, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. And in Genesis chapter 18, verse 25, we read, Shall not the judge of the earth do what is just? God is righteous. God is just. That is who he is. Righteousness is essential to God's very being. It's who he is. Everything he does is right. Everything he thinks, everything he speaks, God is morally and ethically right. He only ever acts out of his righteousness. Therefore, God must reveal his wrath against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Imagine if God did not care about injustice. Imagine if God was partial. Oh yeah, some sins or some people he came down like a ton of bricks, while others he just excused and that's okay. God wouldn't be righteous. He would be unrighteous. He would be a bad person. Now some people don't like this passage because they don't think a loving God can be angry. That is such a weak understanding of love. Imagine if somebody came in right now and started beating you up. I mean, pounding on you. And all I did was say, hey, could you please keep it down? I'm trying to preach right now. Remember, like, remember... The opposite of love is not anger. 
The opposite of love is indifference. God is not indifferent to ungodliness and unrighteousness. And that is a righteous thing. It is a good thing. We'll get to that in a moment. But um, here's a little aside. Uh, this passage, it completely debunks a common question that's brought up against Christians. So, uh, the, the question goes something like, what about all those people who have not heard about Jesus? Surely it is not righteous, it's not good, it's not loving of God to send people to hell who never had an opportunity to hear about Jesus. Well, these verses clearly tell us that no one is innocent before God. God's eternal power, his divine nature can clearly be seen from creation. But we choose to suppress that truth. Instead of looking at a beautiful sunrise and going, wow, there must be someone out there greater than me that deserves my worship, we suppress the truth of the immortal God. And choose just to enjoy the sunrise. There is no one who is innocent. Uh, we'll come back to that in just a moment, but listen to the end of verse 20. So they, so everyone, is without excuse. God's righteous verdict on our life is guilty. We're ungodly. We're unrighteous. We're deserving of his wrath. And that wrath, that anger, it's a good thing. It's loving. God absolutely cares about ungodliness and unrighteousness. That's the wrath of God. Now we go to why God's wrath is right. Got quotation marks around the word right. It's partly because I wanted to put a few words in there. God's wrath is, well, we just heard God's wrath is loving. And if we follow the context of uh, Romans, God's wrath is righteous. There's a big word in Romans, righteous. And if uh, we know what the word righteous means, it actually means the same thing as just. So God's wrath is loving, God's wrath is righteous, God's wrath is just. God's wrath is good. That's what God's about to go in and prove in these next few verses. God is not a bad person. God's declaration that we are without excuse is a good thing. Here's the proof. Read from verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonourable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameful acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, 
God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Wow. The biggest mistake people make with this passage is to think that God is simply giving a list of sins to avoid. Romans 1 isn't a list of sins. Romans 1 is a list of symptoms of sin. Sin is not honouring God. Sin is exchanging the glory of God for lesser glories. Adam and Eve's sin was thinking they knew better than God. Eating the fruit, that was just the symptom of thinking they knew better than God. A symptom of suppressing the truth about God, of suppressing the honour of God, of suppressing the glory of God. Sin is taking God out from the centre and putting ourselves into the centre. Sin is taking God out of the centre and putting ourselves in the centre. And we all do it all the time. Here's another little uh, aside moment in the sermon. I won't charge extra, it's okay, it's a bonus, all right? Uh, Especially in the last 50 years, one of the big uh, questions that people are asking of Romans is, what is the righteousness of God? Now, I'm going to give you a definition. It's not necessarily perfectly, totally accurate for every occurrence of the righteousness of God that we see in a particular verse, but it is the best definition I know of the righteousness of God that covers Genesis to Revelation. As we think about the question of what is the righteousness of God, here's a definition. God's unwavering faithfulness to uphold the glory of his name. God's unwavering faithfulness, he never wavers, he is always true to upholding the glory of his name. Now, I've ripped that off from John Piper. If you think it's good, it probably is, because I didn't come up with it. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing more fitting There is nothing more good. There is nothing more right. There is nothing more just. There is nothing more delightful. Nothing more majestic. Nothing more glorious than the glory of God. Which means there is nothing more unjust, unrighteous, wrong, Evil, horrible, broken, sinful, than exchanging the glory of God for lesser glories. God's wrath against our ungodliness and unrighteousness is right. 
Because the greatest evil in the world is the belittling of God's holy name. God is the blazing center and worthy of all honor, glory and praise. God must uphold the glory of his name. And all creation should uphold the glory of God's name. Anything less is ungodly and unrighteous. So there we've looked at God's wrath against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Now we've looked at the fact that God's wrath is actually righteous and it's good. So what should we do? How do we apply these words? And brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us to embrace God's hatred of sin as a glorious truth. Now, in our best moments, we do. In our best moments, Christians are committed to unwaveringly upholding the glory of God. In our best moments, we know that we're made by God for God. Yes! In our best moments, we know that there is nothing better than living out of the overflow of the glory of God. But we also have many wavering moments. Our hearts are prone to wander. We are are constantly tempted to want the gift, to want the creation, rather than the giver, the creator. We're constantly tempted to listen to the devil's whisper, did God really say? Brother, sister, such wanderings all have one root cause. Disordered desires of the heart. Now, before we were saved, we think of things like, if I just had a right relationship, if I just had a, a right job, if I just had right respect from people, if I just had the right amount of money, then I'd be happy. And then when God saves us, we're tempted in all the same ways, but we've just worked out how to make it sound Christian. God, would you just give me the right relationship? Would you give me the right job? Would you give me the right respect? Would you give me the right amount of money? We turn God into a butler. Instead of God making us happy, we expect his stuff to make us happy. We exchange the glory of the immortal God for the stuff that he gives us. That's the Bible's answer to why this world is broken and why you and I are broken. Disordered desires of the heart, exchanging the glory of God for lesser glories. And so what are you doing to rightly order the desires of your heart. I, heard a couple, I read a couple of sobering surveys. Do you know our time, daily time on social media has grown from 90 minutes daily time uh, back in 2012 to 147 minutes in 2022? That's daily time. Uh, then I've heard, I read that our news consumption is nine hours a week on average. That's 26 hours per week on social media and news. That's not even including 
whatever platform you watch your movies and shows on as well. You and I, sorry. What would happen if we grabbed some of those hours? Half, three quarters, a quarter. What if we grabbed some of those hours and instead of allowing the world to disciple us, we allowed God to disciple us. You see, the problem isn't simply the amount of time we spend on a screen, it's who and what we are listening to. The world doesn't want you to make much of God. The world wants you to make much of you. What a pitiful dream. What a wasted life. God calls us to join him in making much of him. You living for you, me living for me, what a, what a small dream. But living for God, living for God who made us is the fulfilled life. There is no greater joy, no greater meaning in life, no greater glory than the glory of God. Don't exchange that glory for lesser glories. And we do it. We all do it every day. Which is why we need to preach the gospel, God's righteous gospel, to ourselves and to each other every day. You see, it's the gospel that is the power of God for salvation of people like you and me who exchange the glory of God for all those lesser glories. Because at the cross, the great exchange happened. All of our sin, all of our disordered desires were put on him and God punished him, the righteous one, so that we can get his righteousness saved learning more and more to desire rightly, set our heart's desire rightly on the glory of God. We must preach the gospel to ourselves every day. For we are not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith for the righteous will live by faith. Let me pray. Oh, Father God, you are worthy of all honour and praise and glory. You are the righteous one. You are good and majestic and you always have been. You're unwaveringly faithful and praise you that you are faithful to the glory of your name going out throughout the universe. And so, Father, would you help us every day to hand over our small dreams and step into your big dream of your gospel. We pray this for your glory and our joy. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our latest sermon, or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5 p.m. Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tpcc.org. Dot A. U.